Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. First of all, we would like to acknowledge Australia's first astronomers, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the traditional owners and custodians of the land we are on. This episode is produced on Yorta Yorta, Pangarang and Kaerna country. My name is Brendan O'Brien and today is Sunday the 1st of October 2023. We always include a community service announcement asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively and isolate as much as possible and as soon as you can to protect yourself and your community get that COVID-19 vaccination as we work our way through this global crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. Each month we bring you two fabulous episodes. On the first of each month, you'll get to hear Dr. Ian Astroblog Musgrave bring you his monthly sky guide, an astro treat for naked eye observers, telescopers and astrophotographers. And he always includes a tangent of astronomical wonder. In the middle of each month, we'll give you an interview with a noted astrophysicist, astronomer, astrophotographer, space scientist or particle physicist. So let's zoom over to Adelaide now to get your sky guide from Ian. Hello, Ian. Hello, Brendan. How are you going? Very well, thanks, Ian. It's great to be speaking with you again. And can you tell us, mate, what's up in the sky for the month of October? A very interesting month. This month we lose both Mercury and Mars. But in return, Jupiter is now starting to come into the evening sky. We have a very sad partial eclipse of the moon which will basically be only seen in Western Australia. And we have an occultation of the Pleiades, which is going to be rather nice if you could stay up at past midnight. Yep. Those of us who are in the daylight saving states, daylight saving starts this Sunday. So we'll once again be out of sync with everybody else. Of course. So October the 6th is the last quarter moon, which is ideal for stargazing. October the 15th is the new moon, which is also ideal for stargazing. October the 22nd is the first quarter moon. And October the 29th is the full moon where we have our partial eclipse, which is occurring right on the, roughly on moon set in the morning. And basically, I'll, I'll talk about that in a, in a little bit of detail. The moon is at apogee on the, October the 10th, when it's furthest from the Earth at perigee on October 26th, when it's closest to the Earth. And October the 31st is the occultation of the Pleiades. And again, I'll go into that in a little bit more detail later on. Okay. So let's move to the evening sky. Those of us who have been watching the evening sky with great interest, looking for uh, Comet C slash 2023 P1, will have not seen the comet, but may have seen Mars low above the horizon in the twilight. And finally, after many months, Mars finally disappears into the twilight for us. And it will only return in 2024 when it comes back into the morning skies. 
Saturn continues to climb higher in the evening skies and it will be excellent telescope viewing in the early to mid-evening rather than having to wait until midnight or earlier to get your telescope on. It's At the beginning of the month, it's highest and due north around about 11 p.m. local time. And it's relatively easy to see because it's the brightest object to the northeast uh, between the two brightest stars, Altair and Omelhal. Cool. If you're still not entirely sure which object is Saturn, on the 24th, Saturn is within two degrees. That's two finger widths of the waxing moon in the evening skies. Now, Jupiter has been prominent in the morning, but it's now rising in the evening skies. It's rising about 10 p.m. at the start of the month, uh, 10 p.m. local time, and about 8 p.m. by the month's end. So it's still uh, best seen in the, in the morning. Jupiter will be relatively low to the horizon ahead of opposition next month. But nonetheless, it, you'll still be able to see it above the horizon before midnight. It's highest in the morning sky around about 3.30 a.m. at the beginning of the month and 1 a.m. by the end of the month. And that's it's going, to, that's going to be in the north. So it will be really obvious as the brightest object in the northern sky. Uh, on the 1st and the 2nd, Jupiter will be bracketed by the waning moon. So again, if you're unsure what uh, bright object is Jupiter, on the 1st and the 2nd, it's the brightest object next to the moon. And again on the 29th, where it'll be only 5 degrees from the full moon, and they look very nice in the sky. Cool. And again, also, whether you get good views of Jupiter's bands or not in your telescope, binoculars, if you'll be able to see the Jupiter's moons shuffling about quite nicely. Nice. So, of course, in the morning sky, Jupiter is going to be the north-northwest. But uh, Mercury is now uh, lost in the twilight and will return later, back in the evening sky. Uh, Venus is climbing higher in the morning twilight and now is quite visible. If you're looking at it through a telescope, it's going from crescent phase to half-moon phase. Now, Venus reaches its greatest distance from the Sun on the 24th, after which it will begin to head back towards the horizon. So if you're getting up early, Venus will be very prominent, and so you'll have two bright objects in the morning skies. To the east, uh, northeast, you'll have uh, Venus shining extremely brightly, and to the north-northwest, you'll have Jupiter also shining very brightly, so mornings will be very nice indeed. Venus is coming closer to the bright star Regulus in the morning skies. Uh, and on the 11th, Venus is only two finger widths, that's two degrees, from the bright star Regulus. At this time, the crescent moon will also be below Regulus, and so you'll have a lovely triangle of Venus and Regulus and the crescent moon. Uh, on the 11th, to make your mornings extra delightful. Nice. This brings us to the partial lunar eclipse on the 29th of October. So from the east coast, you only get the you know, penumbral eclipse being visible before the uh, moon gets too deep in the twilight and disappears below the horizon, so you don't get to see any of the umbral, the darker part of the eclipse. 
For, us, for those of us in the central states, the moon enters the umbra around about four o'clock in the morning, and very, but very rapidly disappears below the horizon, so we don't get to see maximum eclipse. In contrast, in Perth and most of Western Australia, the, the moon enters the umbra about 4.30 local time. Maximum eclipse is 5.13, and the moon leaves the umbra of the dark. Remember, the umbra is the darkest part of Earth's shadow, about 5.53, coming up to uh, nautical twilight. So you get a good view of the eclipse from Western Australia kind of rubbish from Adelaide and basically none at all from the east coast. Yep. So, but the moon is not finished with doing interesting things for us. There's also the occultation of the Pleiades. The Pleiades, uh, or Seven Sisters, is a lovely little open cluster, not far from the bright star Aldebaran. Around about midnight on the 31st, or and just before midnight on the 30th, for those of you in Western Australia, the moon crosses over the Pleiades cluster. Although for Western Australia, only two bright stars will be uh, covered by the uh, moon. Uh, for the rest of us get not only the 27 and 28 uh, tower being covered by the moon, uh, they are the bright stars right at the edge of the, of the cluster. Some of the less bright stars also get uh, covered and we get to see both the moon going over the stars and then the stars coming back out again. Now, because uh, the Pleiades is so beautiful, this will be a very excellent event. Nice. Best watch through a telescope, but you only need a medium-powered telescope. High-powered telescope, uh, you won't be able to fit everything in, but a, a medium-powered telescope, you'll be able to fit in all the Pleiades and the moon itself. Also, would look uh, relatively wooden binoculars although you're going to be standing around or lying around in your backyard trying to hold the heavy binoculars up. So best to do something like be sitting in a lounge chair with a nice armor so you can hold your binoculars without wobbling around or put your binoculars on a tripod and then adopt a weird crouching pose in order to look through the binoculars at the Pleiades that goes behind the moon. But no matter how you choose to enjoy it, the Pleiades going behind the moon roughly around midnight will be an excellent thing to watch. Because of, of the uh, Pleiades occultation, is the times vary quite a bit between state to state. I'll put out a uh, series of tables closer to the occultation date um, rather than trying recite of about 20 different star times for you. And so those are the major things going on in the sky. Uh, again, Australia has largely missed out on uh, comets that see back 2023. It never gets very high in the twilight and it will sink back into the twilight in a little while so we won't get a good view of it. It's never got very bright, uh, I'm afraid. Um, and I, I was never able to see it. It had been seen further north in northern northern Victoria and southern New South Wales. So let's have a look at the stars. Now, Scorpius has, has been a um, constant companion for quite some time, but now it's setting in the west and it forms a nice reverse question mark settled above the western horizon. The teapot of Sagittarius in the centre of the galaxy have departed the zenith, but 
it's still high enough above the horizon to be excellent binocular hunting ground. And if you haven't had a chance, look for the globular cluster M22. Have a look now. Now, at 10 p.m. local time, which is about an hour after the astronomical twilight when the sky is fully dark, the Southern Cross will be almost at the 5 o'clock position in the sky, beginning to scrape the horizon. And most of the really lovely clusters and nebula that face the southern sky are all lined up along the horizon and will be very difficult to see if, if at all. However, the Lesser Magellanic Cloud is reasonably high in the sky, along with it the globular cluster 47 Ducana, one of the best globular clusters in the sky. So if you've missed out on M22, uh, 47 Ducana more than makes up for it. Now, the Lesser Magellanic Clouds are named after the Explorer Magellan, and there's a, a move to have them renamed because of his rather shabby treatment of the Indigenous people. Uh, we may be calling them something else in the near future. Yeah, fair enough too. But also due south at this time is the faint and undistinguished constellation of Octanus, the Octant. The Octant is a navigational instrument which first helped chart the southern skies for southern explore, European explorers as they headed south, and they gave it a distinguished position in the sky. However, the stars are really, really dim. So under suburban skies, the Octant is almost impossible to see, but if you've got a nice dark sky and you look almost due south right now, you'll see almost that the zenith is the bright star that is the brightest star in the constellation of Worcester Crane. And if you trace your eye down southwards, you'll see a triangle of stars. And this is the this is Octans, the Octan. Now, Octanus also contains the South Pole star, Sigma Octanus. Uh, it's a very hard to see at magnitude five, um, almost impossible under suburban conditions. But if, again, if you're out in the, uh, in the bush, Sigma Octanus is visible, although it's not very, very uh, uh, bright, unlike Polaris, the northern uh, polar star. However, it is closer to um, the uh, southern celestial pole than Polaris is to the northern celestial pole. And in binoculars, the near the, the broad base of the triangle, which is uh, closest to the bright star in Bruce, you'll see uh, a faint open cluster called M uh, Mel 227. It's a nice little uh, open cluster. And if you sweep downwards from um, Mel 227 towards the point of the triangle, there's a nice uh, invisible binocular double star called Pi Octanus. And that's the stars for October. Very good, Ian. And do you have a tangent for us for October, Ian? I do indeed. It's a tangent about the moon. Now, on August 19th, the Russian probe uh, to the moon south pole crashed rather abruptly rather than landing softly, sending a, a small plume of debris across the landscape. While this is rather sad that we don't, that uh, the lunar mission failed, the plume of debris is a harbinger of what may be problems to come. Now, while we're in the poles, polar regions of the moon, 
because that's where they may be sources of water for future explorers and or colonists. The permanently shadowed craters at the pole may preserve water outgassed from the forming of the moon or delivered by cometary impacts and trapped as icy grains uh, in the, the permanent shadows of the craters. So on the otherwise bone dry moon, having a local source of water means not having to cart it at enormous cost in both uh, money and energy from the Earth. Okay. So how much water is on the moon? Estimates differ, but uh, there was a consternation recently when a paper claimed that permanently shattered areas of the moon are actually relatively recent. Uh, and when we talk about relatively recent on the moon, that means that they're about uh, less than 2 billion years old, given that the moon itself is around 4.5 billion years old. And some of them are less than 1 uh, billion years old. So what this means is that the time available and the extent of the area to trap water vapour as ice is significantly less. And the amount of ice on the moon available to use for drinking and other purposes is less as well. Part of this is because the shadowed areas formed after the major events involved in the formation of the moon. So, for example, uh, water brought by comets and asteroid impacts occurred during the era of heavy bombardment, which finished about 3.5 billion years ago. And most of these shadowed uh, craters and their cold traps were established after uh, around about 2 billion years ago. So they missed out on a lot of water by about a billion years. Similarly, vol volcanic outgassing from the uh, then uh, juvenile moon peaked again before the cold traps formed in their craters. But while most of this was happening around about 3.5 billion years ago, some was still going on uh, at a moderate rate about 2 billion years ago. So there was some water vapour around to uh, be trapped in the uh, permanently shadowed craters of the North and South Pole. Cool. So how much less? That's a good question, and we're not really sure. So originally we thought there was about 6 trillion tonnes of water ice in these permanently shadowed areas and other places. Um, but this amount needs to be ground downgraded. How much? Not clear. But then again, uh, having one trillion tonnes of uh, water ice in the polar regions of the moon would be sufficient for uh, large amounts of exploratory work. So the downgrading may not be that significant. But whatever the new figure is, this means that water on the moon is even more precious than it was before. Okay, so you're going to say, what has this got to do with Lunar 25, the Russian lunar probe? So to get polarized, you have to land your spacecraft not too far away. Yep. Uh, building 1,000 kilometres of pipeline on the moon is not yet feasible. <laughs> you have to land your craft relatively close. This means that there's the likelihood that the uh, ice will be exposed to the plumes of material from the landing rockets. And the because they're vapours, if they go into the shadow of the moon, they'll get probably get caught a bit in the cold traps and freeze out just like the water vapour froze out into the cold traps all those billions of years ago. 
The problem is that the exhaust plume of these uh, landers and all current landers that we can imagine contain a fair few nasty chemicals. For example, uh, hydrazine and dimethyl hydrazine are uh, common fuels in uh, for landing things on the moon. So, as vapors, these things will travel a long way in the weak lunar gravity. And so, naturally, uh, vapors containing, there'll be some water vapor from the, from the exhaust, but all the combustion products of uh, the hydrazine and dimethyl hydrazine, and also some unburnt hydrazine itself. And these uh, will be captured by the uh, cold traps, and then you will have hydrazine and other chemicals being mixed into the, the, the top layers with the pristine water ice that we would rather have remain pristine. Obviously, the contamination from one lander is not going to be very much, but when you're going to have a, a basic industrial level of landing and taking off in order to exploit these water resources, you can imagine that very soon these thin uh, thin layers of uh, water rice uh, can be significantly contaminated with the exhaust plumes. As well, the uh, landing plumes will blast out uh, dust and regolith from the uh, lunar surface, which can travel also ballistically a long way and possibly coat the water, the, uh, water ice sources with the layers of regolith, making it a lot harder to get to. So there's ways around it. For example, for the volatiles, you can, uh, as you're landing, choose to direct your landing nozzle in such a way that most of the exhaust gases will go out from lunar orbit. But when you're landing and blasting up regolith, that could be a, lot, a much bigger problem. And again, while one or two landers may not might be much of a problem, if we're going to have uh, permanent bases on the moon and industry on the moon, you can see that quite soon there'll be a lot of vapour and mess uh, uh, in the, forming a thin atmosphere around the moon and freezing out onto the, uh, onto the uh, very craters where we want uh, pristine water ice to be. Uh, and it's also a problem if we set up telescopes on the other side of the moon, having this material landing on the telescopes on the, on the night side side of the moon. Oh. Yeah, and, 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 and so the, the Lunar 25 scar shows that this problem awaits explorers in the future. So it's unlikely that the, the material from Lunar 25 had any significant effect on our, on these water sources, but it's the harbinger of uh, continued landings explorations which may contaminate the very material we will require to have long-term bases on the moon. Well, we're pretty inconsistent, Ian. We crashed Cassini into Saturn so that we wouldn't pollute, you know, any biohazards. And now it looks like we could be polluting the moon. Yeah. Now, at first you think space is so vast and it doesn't really matter. And then you realise that it... Uh, for the things that we really need, you don't need to do much to cause a big problem. <laughs> and it's still the Wild West out there. It is still very much the Wild West out there. There's not been another Starlink launch 
and more of those pesky um, astronomy annoying satellites getting in the way. Well, we'll end on a positive note, Ian. There's still lots of great things for all of us to see up there this month in October. Some good Indeed, planetary yeah. action, um, some lovely stars and constellations to observe and some clusters and the challenge to go and find the South Celestial Pole. Lots of things to see in October, Ian. Lots of things to see in October, and hopefully the hopefully the weather holds. Um, I've, I've been hanging out for some nice cloud-free weather. Uh, uh, the Michaelmas moon is looking very nice at the moment. I'll grab my telescope out in a little while and uh, certainly take some nice images of it. And, uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's been ages since I've been able to get my scope out. Likewise, Ian. Fantastic, mate. Well, thank you very much, Ian Astroblog Musgrave. We'll see you again next month. Indeed. We'll see you next month with even more interesting things that are happening. Good night, mate. Good night, mate. All the best. See you later. And remember, Astrophys is free, ad-free and unsponsored. And in two weeks' time, we'll be looking at an amazing scientific achievement, the JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope. Tune in. Till then, keep looking up. See you then. Radio Wave.